When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're speaking with Jordan Halverson, a female bull rider who recently made the move out to Texas and who survived a near-death experience. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So for our listeners, can you introduce who you are and what you do? So I'm Jordan Halverson. I'm 28 years old. I'm originally from North Carolina, and I am a female bull rider. How long have you been in Texas? So I've been in Texas for about three years now. I came in 2020. What's it like being a new Texan, or do you feel like a Texan yet? Uh, I mean, kind of. I was driving back and forth from North Carolina to Texas all the time, and, like, all my friends, like, made fun of me, and they're like, you're eventually going to move down here. So, like, when I did finally move down here, it really, I mean, I'd been here so much that it just kind of felt right, you know? Now, today we're mostly talking about your bull riding career, and is that what brought you down to Texas three years ago? Yes, so I um, came to Texas originally to work for Dale Brisby and to be an intern for him, and I applied because I wanted to continue to ride bulls, but I also wanted to learn more about, like, the Western industries, specifically, like, the cow-calf operation side of things, like cowboying, and so... I came down here because I was going to be able to ride bulls here and, like, also learn that kind of stuff. So going back to the beginning, how did you first get into bull riding, and how old were you? So I got into bull riding because, like, I started off riding hunter-jumper horses, which is, like, the English-style horses. You know, we jump fences and stuff like that. And I've done that, like, since the time I was eight. eight. Well, Fast forward a little bit, you know, all through high school and middle school and elementary school, I was horse showing. And when I was in high school, I started working for this horseback riding trainer that ended up dating a bull rider. And when I was working for this trainer, I was like riding all her super naughty horses and ponies. Like I was getting bucked off. I was just kind of riding whatever needed road. And when she started dating this bull rider, he had mentioned, he was like, hey, what do you think about riding a bull? And I was like, why on earth would we do that? And he just kind of was like, well, you could say you did it. Like, how many people do you know have rode a bull? Like, you can mark it off your bucket list. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like, who am I to say no to doing something like that? Like, I get bucked off of horses and ponies all the time. So we just went. I was 17, and I just tried it one time just to say I did it and kind of fell in love with it and wanted to keep going. It's always cool to check something off your bucket list, but that's kind of a, a dangerous thing to check off. How did you feel going into it? Did you have any second thoughts of like, wait a second, why am I doing this? You know, honestly, like going into it, like I didn't really think about it that way because like the place that I went, which was Shady Acres in Hope Mills, North Carolina, like they kind of cater to that specific model of rider, like people that have never been on, like, you know, and, and, and bulls don't buck if, if they don't want to. And you can really kind of control the caliber of bull that you get on. And so, you know, they said they had what's called like a first time rider bull, you know, like he was a beginner bull, you know, like he wasn't going to buck that hard, but you know, for someone that's never been on, like you're going to hit the ground as soon as the gate opens. And 
And so they kind of had, like, really reassured us that, like, they weren't going to put us on anything that was going to, like, absolutely try to kill us. But it was going to be a bull that was going to try to buck us off. You mentioned doing hunter-jumper. I've been riding for over 10 years, and I also do jumping, so I'm familiar with that world and of it being English riding. So it seems like it would be a big switch going from English riding to the Western kind of rodeo world of bull riding. It actually, you know, going from English to Western actually helped me out a lot because, you know, and not dog in the Western industry, but like, or Western riding, but like, a lot of times, like, you just, the goal is to stay on, like, there's no kind of form to it, you know, like, not essentially, like, but, like, growing up, like, we trained how to ride really properly, so, like, I just had built up a lot of leg strength, I could post really well, um, I could sit a, a canner pretty well, you know, really well, and, you know, I rode hunters, so I did a lot of equitation, so, like, I actually learned how to sit a trot, like growing up so like all those things like I had had developed all these skills really well and like the switch was easy and then jumping horses is actually like if you did that bareback which I always rode bareback is like honestly the best way to practice for bull riding you know like that is literally one of the best ways you can practice is jumping a horse bareback so like it was just I mean it just came pretty naturally to like once I got past the adrenaline but like I don't know. It just came really naturally. You know, I ride, try to ride almost every day, you know, just even in a Western saddle, you know, just anything on a horse is good, you know, it's, it's good for, you know, bull riding, bronc riding, you know, all the rough stocks, you know. So I at least try to do that every day. Can you talk more about just your journey into professional bull riding and really getting into it? Like once you were hooked, what happened next? Yeah, so once I became hooked, you know, like, where I originally started riding bulls, like, they didn't look at me any different, you know, like, they didn't think just because I was a girl, I couldn't ride bulls or whatever, you know, they were just, they were supportive, and they were happy that I was there, and and then I was riding, and it wasn't until I went to, like, my first rodeo that I realized, like, girls didn't ride bulls, which is fine, like, it is what it is, and so, like, I went to my first rodeo, and I entered just, like, a little amateur deal, and, you know, I won the board, and, like, the very first one I went to, I just got on this little bull and he pretty much just walked in a circle, but I happened to be the only one to stay on, which, you know, luck of the draw. And so, like, but then from kind of then on, like, I was traveling with these guys before I really started competing, and we would get to these rodeos, and they would look and see who all was entered. They would look at the guys' list and see who was entered, and they would sit there and they would talk about these guys being like, oh, he's going to buck off. Oh, he's going to be a money donor. Like, he's going to be this or that. And, like, there's no way he's going to stay on. And I remember from then on, I just wanted to be – I wanted someone to look at my name on the list and be like, this girl might take my money. Or, like, she's probably going to ride her bull. Like, I always kind of wanted to have that mentality of, like, my goal is to stay on my bull. Like, you're not there to beat anyone because, like, you can't have that mentality. Like, you're riding – you're – your opponent is the bucking bull, not the other riders. And I always just wanted to be like, oh, she's going to ride her bull. Like, she's got a really high chance of, of covering her bull. And so, like, that's just kind of the mentality I've always had going into it. And, you know, for a while, like, I was just entering, like, just amateur deals, like, just with the guys. Like, I was, I was rodeoing for about three years from 2013 to 2016, not even realizing that girl, other girls had road bulls, you know, like, 
just kind of oblivious to it I guess you know like I just I never really did my research on it because like I was just living in the moment of we ride bulls and in 2016 I found out that there was other girls that rode bulls and like the WPRA used to have uh women's rough stock riding and in 2016 at the Fort Worth stock show and rodeo they had a women's steer riding and I quote put quotations over steer riding because they really did put us on just some mini bulls that really kind of bucked for the time and so I went to that and I, I met a bunch of other girls that were riding bulls and they were trying to get another organization started for women to ride bulls and we called it the, the WBRO it was like I think it was something different then but it ended up being like the WBRO which is women's bull riding organization and so I rode with them I was still entering like with the guys like on the weekends that they didn't have those you know like I just kind of was going from there and then in 2020 is like the year that I stopped entering with the guys I got hurt really really bad and um, I wanted to focus more on just the women's bull riding. Can you tell me about what that was like to find that there were other women who were riding? And before that, like, was there ever a sense of loneliness in not seeing other women at competitions? Yeah, it was cool finding out that other um, women rode bulls. I mean, I just, I mean, it's so much of an individual sport at the same time that, like, you know, like, we were all so scattered out. So, like, it it was still never going to be, like, we were all jumping in the car together and going to rodeos. Like, it was never going to be like that sense of like friendship but you know just knowing that there was other girls getting on bulls out there and like wanting to be better and then wanting to you know ride you know just to be in a part of an organization um was pretty cool and you know like I still talk some a lot of those girls that I met back then actually don't ride now you know like it's a it's a very short game the other thing about women in the sport is like you know, you have a lot more responsibilities sometimes, like, you know, we get pregnant, we take care of the house a lot of the time, like, in, in most instances, and, you know, like, if you get pregnant, like, obviously, you're going to stop riding bulls, and, and then a lot, I, I saw a lot of girls that that would happen to them, they just get to a point in their life where they're ready to have kids, or they get pregnant, and then, you know, they'd come back right after the kid was born for a little bit, but nobody really stayed riding bulls after that because, like, then you develop this, you know, like, momhood, and, you know, you don't want to get hurt, you know, because getting hurt is always a risk no matter how gentle the bull is. And there was just so many girls that kind of ended up following that path or they did something different. Does that weigh on you at all, the notion that it is such a short-lived sport and that for women maybe even shorter just because of those kind of other responsibilities that you mentioned? You know, not really. I mean, I've had a really long career, I would I would say, uh, riding bulls, especially as a female. You know, I'm going on 11 years of getting on and had plenty of injuries, but I don't put timelines on in my life anymore. Um, I used, I got hurt back in 2020 and almost lost my life and ever since then you know like I just quit living for those timelines like I got to be this at you know this age and you know like I mean it's always the possibility of things changing but you know I don't ever like I don't I want to live in the moment like I want to continue to live you know we're still moving forward for the future but you know that kind of stuff has never really weighed on me can you talk about that life-threatening injury in 2020? Yeah, so in 2020, I went to um, 
a board ad and I was in, in Tennessee and it was like right when like COVID first started. Like it was like the first day that COVID shutdowns had started happening. Like half, you know, like I'd say 50 to 75% of businesses had already clo- like had closed and like people were like rapidly like shutting down. And this was like one of the last places that hadn't gotten shut down yet. So they still had their board ad and it was on Saturday, uh, March 15th. And I was dating this guy at the time and we had argued the whole way to the board ad and it was not a good deal. Like I didn't need to be with him anyway. And when I got to the rodeo, like I was just entered with the guys and I had drinks the night before, which I don't normally do. And then I was hungover. I took a bunch of Motrin to try to, clear my headache I was upset I'd been crying like it was just I just I knew in the moment that I did not need to get on a bull like I remember thinking like this is stupid like my head's not in it like I'm not focused and so I decided to get on anyway I didn't listen to myself and I came off and this bull stepped on me right on the stomach right about where your liver sits and because I had drank the night before taken so much Motrin um, and my blood was thin, I ended up having a greater than grade five lacerated liver, which means about 80% of my liver was destroyed and I was internally bleeding to death. Well, like I rolled over and I tried to get up. I was like, man, like something ain't right. You know, like something did not feel good. And the EMTs come in and they carry me out. And I, I think I broke my collarbone. Like I remember thinking like, oh man, my collarbone was broke, but my collarbone was fine. And, and so they took me to the hospital, they do all the scans, they do a CT scans, and I'm waiting for like, at this point, I think they had told me that I'd lacerated my liver, but they didn't really say how bad it was. Like, they're just like, all right, you're internally bleeding, like, lacerated your liver, you know, I'm like, not good. So 10 minutes go by, and I'm waiting there, like, I've done all the scans and stuff. Well, all of a sudden, like, my blood pressure cuff on my arm can't pick up my, um, blood pressure anymore like it's completely like not able to read it and two nurses come in or a doctor and a nurse come in they're like hey um your blood pressure dropped we're gonna stick this needle in your artery that's in your wrist to be able to track your blood pressure they're like it's gonna hurt really bad i was like okay whatever you know at this point like i just hurt and they probably stuck me about 10 times with this needle trying to find the artery they couldn't find it and about the 10th time they did that, I was like, the, the student nurse was like, I'd like to try one more time. And I was just, I was over it. And I was like, I would just like it if y'all just quit. And about the time I said that, a surgeon walked in holding two bags of blood standing in my doorway and was like, y'all need to stop. Like, we got to take her back to the OR right now. Like, this girl's going to die. And so they, like, instantly, like, wheeled me back there. Like, they had me cuffed to the bag because I was pretty angry at this point. They were trying to sedate me, and they didn't have me sedated when they got me back to the OR. So, like, I physically saw them cut me open and, like, stick their hands in and start the surgery. And then at that moment, everything went, like, super bright. Like, it was super white. I uh, had no emotions. Like, I didn't, wasn't mad, wasn't sad, wasn't angry. Like, I literally had no emotions. And I just remember off in the distance, like, I could see a figure standing there. And that's when I said, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, and then I woke up. And uh, I woke up three days later. They had me induced into a coma because I was on the transplant list to get a new liver. 
it it's the first hospital I was at was not like a super big trauma center, but what they had done was they had cut me open, went in there and tried to just pack the bleeding. Like that was all they were trying to do is just stop the bleeding. And then they shipped me off to another hospital to get the transplant list or to get a trans, a liver transplant. So they left me cut open and like, they were just flushing out blood and like they kept me on blood. And well, on the third day they had gone in there just to check the things that were going on, like just to check it and make sure everything was looking good. Well, the first hospital had blindly packed my liver so well that they actually saved enough tissue. Your liver regenerates, like it'll grow completely back. And so they had they had saved just enough tissue that it was going to re it was going to grow back. And it wasn't I wasn't going to need a transplant list. And once they had realized that, like that's when they cleaned everything up and you know closed me up. And they were able to take me off the ventilator and I, I could move to another room. Well, all this time, like, it's COVID. Like, they only let my dad in the hospital while I was in ICU. But once they put me in a room, like, I was allowed to have no visitors. And I was there for two weeks. So, I just knew from that point on, like, like I, I just felt really blessed from that injury. Which sounds crazy, you know? Like, I li- like I flatlined on the table, like, come to find out. Like, they told me they flatlined. I, flat- I think I flatlined twice. But I had flatlined, and, like, they were able to revive me, and I literally got out of their, like, best-case scenario, like, didn't need a liver transplant, and I just remember feeling so blessed. And I remember, like, everyone was like, well, are you, are you done riding bulls and stuff like that? And, you know, at, at this point, I was like, I kept telling them, I was like, I feel like if I told you right now I was never going to ride a bull again, I'd be lying to you. Whether that means I'm going to ride one more ride a hundred more like I just I feel like if I told you right now that I was never gonna ride again I mean I I think I had said that I wasn't going to when I was like sedated and I was like but that's not fair because I was like really out of it I was like but once I kind of like came to you know and I just remember like feeling like God had this purpose for me after that you know like he would not give me the fire desire the passion the the will to want to keep riding bulls that and I was already there. Like, I was already going home, you know? Like, I was already to that point. Like, why on earth? First off, why on earth would I say, like, I'm not ready, you know? Like, this place sucks sometimes. And, it, you know, it just, it became really real for me. Like, it, it became really real that, like, God had this purpose for me. And he had this um, this path for me that I, I didn't quite understand at the time. And when I found out that, like... Like, when I found out myself that I still wanted to ride bulls, like, I was like, this is no mistake. Like, this is not an accident that I still want to ride bulls. Like, I would not be this healthy if, you know, like, I just, I don't know. It just, it it felt so right. And then it was literally six months after my liver accident that I came to work for Dale and we filmed a Netflix show. And it just, you know, everything was kind of coming, you know, fruition and was like, I don't know, it just, it it just seemed so right. Like it was just crazy how everything worked out and how I was just, you know, doing these things and being this, you know, role model and and sharing my testimony and everything. I mean, it just felt good, felt right. Just made it worth it, you know, in the end. When they said that, you know, you were dying and you had to be cut open and you had all these emotions, you had the anger of, you know, with the needles and everything. Did you even have time to process that 
you might die? Like, what were you even thinking in that moment? Yeah, so I had not even, like, that had not even crossed my mind that, like, I was about to go back, and it was probably almost, it, like, it, that had never crossed my mind. Like, it, never. Like, I didn't, like, I hurt. Like, I didn't feel good, but, like, I didn't feel like I was dying, like, by any means. Like, I felt like I could have gotten up and walked out of there. Maybe that was the adrenaline, but, like, maybe it was pain medicine, but, like, I never, like, once thought that, like, this might be the end, you know? Like, that never crossed my mind. And then, like, to wake up, and feel as good as I did about it, you know, like, I mean, I was making jokes, like, right after, like, the ventilator, like, I was giving thumbs up and stuff with the, you know, it was crazy, it was crazy to be, like, that happy about it, you know, like, I don't regret it at all, like, I mean, it sucks, and it was a terrible thing, and I've got, like, a gnarly scar down my whole entire stomach now, but it tells a story, you know, I was, I was, I wouldn't say that I was ashamed of it at first, but, like, I remember, like I got hurt in March so by the time that I was like really up moving around and being physical and stuff it was it was summertime and I remember like going to the beach the first time and you know I've got this really fresh looking scar down I mean it's from the bottom of my sternum all the way down like it's it goes right around my belly button like it goes all the it's literally the whole length of my stomach and I remember you know people giving me like crazy like funny looks for it but like you know never asked you know or didn't know or I just remember kind of being embarrassed about it at first because it it's so long but not anymore and you mentioned seeing a figure and there you know there's so much fascination among people of like near-death experiences but for you I mean you mentioned God like did you think that was that figure was God or looking back like what is that like to even think that you saw like the end kind of but now you're you're here yeah I absolutely like to me it felt like it was God well like there to tell me that you know I was almost going home to be with them and you know I felt like I was kind of like right outside of heaven and he was kind of there and he it was him showing me that he had something planned for me I mean, I know I said, like, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, but it was, like, him showing me that, like, you're right, like, you aren't ready. Here, I'm going to I'm gonna put you back. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be able to make a full, 110% full recovery, and you're going to go out and share this message. And that's how I took it. So after the accident, how much time passed by before you did get back on a bull? Three months. I only waited three months. <laughs> not long enough at all it was crazy and like I remember going to get on my first one and it was like I wasn't nervous at all and I felt like I I thought I was going to be nervous like I really did think I was like man like I knew I wasn't scared to get on because I I just I hardly ever like I've never really felt scared but there have been times where like bulls have made me nervous or like give you butterflies and I just I just remember being like ready for it and I rode the first bull back for like, I don't know, four or five seconds, you know, which is, you know, I jumped off. I remember, which I jumped off early, but like, I remember being awake and I remember like, like kind of remembering it. Sometimes we go through the phase when you haven't been on for a while or it's your first time getting on, like you'll black out because the adrenaline will take over. And like, I don't remember that happening. So then from there, how did your career kind of take back off and what have you been up to in the meantime in the world of bull riding? Yeah, so then like 
after all that had happened, like, that's when I had applied to come work for Dale, and, um, we were still, they still had those women's, the WBROs, and I had kind of gotten a couple more injuries, like, since the Liberty, like, I think I've had quite a few, four or five more surgeries since then, so, like, I had to take some time off, like, took, like, a whole year off, because I broke my arm, and had to have two ACL surgeries, and so, like, since then, and, but last year, 2022, I had, like, one of the best years of my riding career I've ever had. Like, I won the world title in the women's board riding organization. I created a new one because that one kind of fizzled out. And, you know, I started riding with them this year. I'm on track to win the whole thing this year. And I've just, I've just rode really good since then. You know, like, I had, like, the ACL deal that I had to re-go through um, was going to happen regardless. Uh, I had grown a bone spur over one of the screws from the first one. And it sliced my ACL. So, like, that was going to happen regardless. But I got bucked off a horse and broke my arm at the same time. And, you know, just little stuff like that had happened. I think that was in 2021. So I took all of 2021 off and then came back, came back really strong, went to the first, I think I went to the first PBR um, combine in March of 2022. And I rode a really good bull there, you know, it was pretty, you know, for the team for the team stuff and then just kind of had a really stellar year best year i've had riding bulls like most consistent i've ever rode worked out pretty hard and uh was pretty level-headed about the whole thing and just kind of been going at it in the women's stuff ever since you mentioned working for dale coming to texas to work for dale can you tell us who dale is and just what your experience has been like working here in texas and learning more about I believe you said like cowboying and kind of just more of the western side of things. Right. So Dale Brisby is obviously like the best orator in the face of the planet. Like he is the best. But um, he has this YouTube channel, and we we put out like weekly videos. We'll do other stuff. Well, he takes on interns to learn these crafts that are in the western and rodeo industry, and. Um, one of the main things that I wanted to learn was the cow calf operation side of things, like going to brandings and stuff like that. Because where I'm from, like people don't raise commercial cows like that, and if they do, it's a very small niche group, and it's just it's hard to find someone that's gonna take you under their wing and like teach you the things of cowboying. Or they do it not with horses, like they'll do it with like four wheelers and stuff like that, which I've run into a lot with in North Carolina. But then he's also like. So then he, so Dale brings you on to like learn about that kind of stuff, but then also to like pursue these careers in rodeo, you know, everything from, we have guys that ride uh, saddle broncs and barebacks and bulls. And, you know, he, he teaches those guys like the, you know, the ins and outs of rodeo. Cause like he, he's grown up in it and it's just really cool to see him give back to like, to people that are less fortunate to like be able to grow up in that or or have the desire to learn about the Western industry or rodeo community. So I know that you only came to officially live in Texas three years ago, but you spent a lot of time here from doing bull riding stuff. So with that in mind, there's a question that I ask everyone who comes onto the podcast as a tie-in to the name. And uh, that question is, for you, what does it mean to be Texan? What it means for me to be Texan is, you know, like hardworking and always giving back and always helping others regardless of where they come from, whether what they've done, you know, like just kind of always, you know, 
being there to lend a helping hand, you know, that's where I've seen the most from being a Texan, you know, helping everyone that comes through. Before we go, where can people find you online? All right, so I have um, an Instagram. It's a Jordan, J-O-R-D-E-N, 395. And then same thing, it's the same for TikTok, Facebook, all, all the things. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at HannahOrtegaATX.